Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Please humble us before you now and your mighty hand, that you may exalt us as we respond rightly. Please give us that right response to your word of faith and obedience uh, and honor and glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's Mother's Day today. I hope that you got your mum a present. Uh, Let's imagine for a second it's Mother's Day. It is. Uh, Let's imagine it's Mother's Day and you've got your mum two presents. Not just one, two presents. One gift you thought really, really hard about. You went walking through the shops to find it. You spent lots of time and money on it. Uh, But the other gift, well, you just kind of noticed it as you walked past it. And it's like, oh, maybe I'll get that as well. So you didn't spend that much time on it. It was pretty cheap, relatively. So you've got two gifts to give your mum for Mother's Day. One gift greater than the other. So on Mother's Day, you give your gift, your two gifts to your mum. And what does she do? How does she respond to these gifts? Well, first she opens up the cheaper gift, let's say. And she's just over the moon. She has a massive smile on her face. She's so happy. She hugs you. She says, thank you. I've always wanted this. But then she opens the second gift, more expensive gift, the more time and energy and effort gift. And she kind of pulls her face and says, thanks, I guess. And then she forgets to take it home at the end of the day. How do you feel? You feel bad, right? You don't want that to be the response of your mom on Mother's Day. You feel hurt, upset. She neglected the greater gift, the one that you put more time and energy and money into. She just, she just ignored it and left it behind. In a really strange kind of way, Mother's Day and that story is a bit like our passage tonight. Uh, remember, first of all, before we get to our verses from verse 5 onwards, let's remember those first four verses of the book of Hebrews. Last week we started our new sermon series in Hebrews, and we looked at just those four verses. And we enjoyed looking them in our gospel team as well. I hope you enjoyed that this week in your small group. Uh, if for whatever reason you missed Phil's sermon and you missed gospel team, then go back onto our website and listen to that sermon, because so many wonderful truths are contained and captured in those four verses. What did we see last week? We saw the first big thing that he wanted to say. The book of Hebrews, the writer wanted to say to us right at the beginning of his letter. Hebrews 1 verse 2, it's there. God has spoken by his son. For all the wonderful ways that God has clearly revealed himself in history, how he spoke through his prophets, how he spoke and did miraculous signs, how he saved them from Egypt and brought them into the promised land. For all the ways that God has spoken and given them his word, now he has spoken in a new way, in a full and final way, with with more power and more grace and more love than he has ever spoken before. More glory, more blessing, more generosity. He has spoken to us by his Son by the Lord Jesus Christ, by him coming into the world, by his words, and also by his life, his death for our sin, and by his resurrection, and the fact that he now sits at God's right hand in heaven, ruling and reigning. He has spoken to us by his Son, by the gospel of Jesus. And it's because of who the Son is that makes him worthy to be this word of God to us, this message of revelation he is the heir of all things we saw last week the owner of everything he's the radiance of god's glory the exact expression of his nature you look at him and you see god 
He made and sustains all creation. He's the one who purifies us from sin. And as we said before, he sits at God's right hand, reigning over all. That's who he is. That's the massive claims that Hebrews just bursts open with in the first few words. And so look at verse 4. This is kind of the point he lands on, and then he expands on it. He he moves on to it in the next chapter. Verse 4. So because of all this, because of who he is, because of what he's achieved, the Son is greater than the angels. He's now superior to the glorious heavenly beings who serve God. And so in our passage today, Hebrews sets to prove this, to show that this Son, the Messiah, the Lord, Jesus, is greater than the angelic beings who serve God in heaven. Now that might be something that we're kind of like, oh, well, I wasn't really that much interested in that. You know, why do we care so much about angels in the modern world? We don't really. But the end of our passage makes it really clear why this matters. And so we'll get there in the end. Come with me. Let's uh, follow what he's saying. You will need your Bible open. You will need your outline. Hebrews is not always easy, but it is worth digging and doing the hard work to see the truth that he's teaching us. So first of all, he explains it's the sun versus the angels. How is Jesus greater than the angels? How do we know that? Well, Hebrews says, look at the evidence. And the evidence, the proof that he puts forward is what? It's the Old Testament scriptures. The inspired word of God. If you're trying to establish truth, what is real, what is true, what is the ultimate source of truth? It's God who made everything and who knows everything and therefore tells us how things are. It's God's declaration that matters and so that's his evidence, the Old Testament. And so he gives us seven Old Testament quotes, seven uh, this perfect number of God to describe all the ways that Jesus is greater than the angels, and it's kind of strung together like this beautiful chain, just one after the other. And for every quote, he's saying, Look at the angels, look at what God says to them, look at Jesus, look what he says to him. How does that compare? So let's look at these seven quotes and what he's trying to say. We're going to race through some of them, we'll slow down for some of them, but that's what we're going to do for most of our time. See, the first quote is in Psalm 2. <clears throat> Have a look at verse 4 again. Jesus, he's greater than the angels, verse 5. For to which of the angels did he, God, ever say, You are my son. Today I have become your father. He asked us, did God the Father ever say anything like this to any angel? You are my son. I am your father. What's the obvious answer that he wants? No. That's the... Uh, God never spoke like this to any angel. So who did God speak to like this? The answer is his son. But who is God's son? Well, the Sunday school answer, the kids' holiday club answer should be Jesus, right? But the tricky thing is, is that the psalm, Psalm 2, is about the king of Israel. It's about a man. It's about King David, the king that God chose to rule over his people, and then his descendants who ruled on the throne after him. When a new king, a descendant of David, came to the throne, they would say, he's become God's son, like a little s son. And so that's why it says, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. See, the king of God's people would be lifted to this place of high authority and prestige and a special relationship with God as father and son, representing God and his rule 
over God's people, Israel. And so Psalm 2, it's based on these wonderful promises that God made to David, to King David. Uh, And that's actually where the second quote comes from in our string of quotes. So quote number two is from 2 Samuel 7. And to know your Bible, to, to understand Jesus, you have to know 2 Samuel 7. Don't believe the lie that you can't understand the Bible for yourself. Put in the hard work to to grasp God's big picture across all of the Bible. Why not read the Bible cover to cover and and kind of consume it? Uh, Or do intro to the Bible, the course that we offer every year, and we run it every year, and people love it. Uh, I I say that not because I run it, because Phil runs it. (laughs) Uh, Or you could ask your friend or a gospel team leader to, to sit down with you for an hour every week or so, And just read through the Bible or read a book that helps you to understand God's big picture. 2 Samuel 7 is one of those key moments in the Bible where God makes promises to David that ultimately he fulfills in Jesus. So look at it again, the end of verse 5. God says to King David and about his sons, his descendants, the kings who come from his family line, he says, I will be his father and he will be my son just like it says in Psalm 2. So he's using these two quotes to really say the same thing. The two quotes say that Jesus is the true Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Anointed One, the the Son of David, that these words really point to. Jesus is uniquely God's Son, unlike uh, the other kings, more than King David, more than Solomon, more than any of the kings of Israel could be, Jesus is the true Son of God, the King of God's kingdom. But God did not speak such words to angels, did he? No, he spoke them to Jesus. Think about this. When did he speak them to Jesus? Think about when Jesus was baptized. Or think about up on the mountain when he was transfigured and, and, and was glowing before the disciples' eyes. This is my son, God the Father said audibly. But most of all, God declared these words when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in heaven at his right hand. That's what Paul says in Romans 1 verse 4. We thought about it last week. We're going to think about that verse a lot uh, this series, I think. Jesus was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection. It was God's declaration. This one is king. He has risen and conquered the grave. He is enthroned king forever. You see his point. No angel has been called the son of God like this. No, only Jesus the son. And so he's greater than the angels. That's quote number one and two. Then we get quote number three and four. And quote number three and four, well, they're about the angels. And what does God say about the angels? How does it compare to what he says to the son? Look at verse six with me. It says, when he, God the Father, again brings his firstborn, the the Son, into the world, he says, and all God's angels must worship him. What's he saying? He's saying when God the Father brings Jesus into the world, which could be when he first came into the world, uh, but actually I think what it's talking about is when he gets brought into the world as risen and reigning over all things, when he's seated at at God's right hand in heaven, well, God then demands that his angels worship him the son it's a little bit of a tricky quote actually it's kind of a smush of two verses in the old testament in deuteronomy 32 and uh, psalm 97 but 
the point is actually really simple. What does God say about the angels? He says they should worship the Son, not the other way around. As wonderful and powerful as angels are, the Son is higher, greater than the angels. They should bow down to him. He does not bow down to them. One of the really striking things about the book of Revelation is that we see this exact thing happening pictured before us in revelation 5 there's this beautiful moment just after all the angels and all the creatures and the elders in the heavens bow down to god on his throne what do they do in the next chapter well they do the exact same thing to jesus to the lamb that was slain when they realize that jesus is the one worthy to rule over all what do they do the the elders the powerful creatures they fall on their faces before jesus And then the angels specifically join in. Have a look at Revelation 5 on the screen. It says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands, plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, The Lamb who was slaughtered, the Son, is worthy to receive power and riches, and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing." They bow and worship the Son. Which I just think shows us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, loud and clear, Jesus is God. Isn't that right? He is God the Son, along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And so the angels worship Jesus. God the Father demands it. The Son, he's greater than the angels. And we see that, again, in quote uh, number four. So what does it say? Quote number four in verse seven. And we see, uh, God says, about the angels, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. See, God's angels are his servants. The son is his equal. God sends his angels to affect things in the world. He says, go make fire. They make fire. He says, go make wind. They make wind. Their job is to go here and there and simply do exactly what God says. But the Son is honored, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling, reigning, calling the shots. Do you see his argument? Do you see this picture that he's building? Well, now the picture kind of gets even bigger. With each quote, he keeps building the argument more and more to more and more impressive things about the Son. So now he turns it up a notch and he claims even greater things. For Jesus. So if you've tuned out now, if it's a little bit too warm in here from the nice air conditioning, poke the person next to you, strap yourself back in, because these next few quotes should floor us. Because, uh, have a look at quote number five uh, and six. We see Hebrews claim for Jesus the same power, the same authority as God the Father. Look close at verse eight. God says these things about angels, and then verse 8, but to the Son. And so we're meant to read these words as God the Father speaking to the Son, to Jesus. But to the Son, your throne, God, the Father calls the Son God here. Your throne, God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. And on it goes to say that because of his righteousness, God has anointed you, marked you as king, king forever. And these words come from Psalm 45. I hope you enjoyed Psalm 45 before, a love song in the Bible. 
Uh, it's a psalm. It's actually about a royal wedding where someone, a woman, is marrying the king, Israel's king, the descendant of David. And it speaks about, about the king and his role and his character and promises. And, and it speaks to the bride and t- tells her how, what her attitude should be. But here, Hebrews is actually claiming that Jesus is both God and the king in this psalm. That ultimately these words about the king, the son of David, are fulfilled in Jesus. Because he is the eternal son. And just as God is, has eternal... So God in the flesh, Jesus, is eternal. He is totally just and righteous. He's been raised to reign forever. Jesus is greater than the angel. It's the same point again. Because no angel has been anointed as God's eternal king. No angel has an eternal reign like God, only the Son. And again, we see something similar. It just keeps building in our next quote. Quote number six. He quotes Psalm 102, and these words he applies to Jesus, the Son. Verse 10, he says, And here's another thing that God the Father said to the Son, And in the beginning, Lord, that's the Son, in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like a robe. But you, Son are the same, and your years will never end. See, as you read those words, if you looked up that psalm and read those words, who would you say they're talking about? Hebrew says they're talking about Jesus, the one who created the world, who is eternal. God the Father is the one who said, let there be light, but then it was the Son who enacted it, who made it happen, who created light the one who made everything out of nothing at the word at the command of god the father the son created the world with the father that's what hebrews is saying and he's eternal like the father everything wears out like clothing we wear it for a while it wears out and we get rid of it god does not wear out he's eternal so is the son And in these two quotes, uh, number five and six, Hebrews claims things for Jesus that should only belong to God, right? Only God has an eternal reign over things. Only God created the heavens and the earth by his word. Only God outlives these things. Hebrews says the Son has those same qualities. The Son is God. And so it's verses like these that make us confident to say that. That there, that there is one God who is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so to give Jesus the same glory that is due to God, to the Father. Because he is, in fact, God with him. Is that true of any angel, Hebrews says? No. Jesus is greater than the angel. But now it reaches its its kind of climax with uh, quote number seven. This is the final quote, quote. It caps it all off. Have a look at verse 13. Now to which of the angels has he ever said, has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? This is another quote about the Messiah from Psalm 110. This is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. 
Psalm 110, you should know it. It's one of those key passages again. And it points forward and looks forward and is fulfilled in Jesus. See, God did not say these words to an angel. He said them to his Messiah, to his anointed king, ultimately to Jesus, to the son of David, the eternal king. And so Jesus, now raised from the dead, seated in heaven, you see the theme over and over again, seated in heaven, sits at God's right hand with all authority and all power, and it's God the Father who has put everything under his feet, who has made everything, his enemies, his footstool. That's what history is all about. Did you know that? That's what God is doing throughout history. He's making everything the footstool of Jesus. He's taking everything in this world and everyone and making them come under the authority of his Son. That's why the gospel is going out to all the nations, so that people hear and then repent and believe like so many of us here and come under God's love, to come under Jesus' loving and good rule. To which of the angels did God say any of that? None. They are just his servants, going and doing his business, serving people like us, it says there, which is a strange thought. But they are not the Son. They're not ruling and reigning over all things. They are not equal with God. The Son is. And that's what Hebrews tries to prove with these seven quotes. But again, maybe you're thinking, why does that matter? This is all kind of out there and abstract. And abstract. You know, you know we've, maybe you've never met an Has anyone here met an angel? Maybe don't put your hand up if you're bold. <laughs> I've never met an angel. Maybe you have. But why should we care that Jesus is greater than any angel? Do we really need to know that? Why does it matter? Hebrews makes it all clear now in chapter 2, verse 1 and on. So come with me to the final part of our passage. Chapter 2, verse 1. Look at what he says. He says, We must, therefore, because, because of this, because Jesus is greater than the angels, we must, therefore, pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. Okay, why? Verse 2. For... If the message spoken through angels was legally binding, he started talking about the Old Testament law at this point. The first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, let's get this right. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The law, the Torah, God's way for his people to live. He's saying that message that was spoken was spoken through angels to Moses. It was angels who gave that message to Moses. And if that message, if that law was valid and binding, and look again at the verse, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, so that's all the things listed out in the law, if you do this, you receive this punishment. If God's law was good, and if you ignored it, you were punished. If that's true, then verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's comparing God's Old Testament law to our great salvation. And he tells us what that great salvation is in verse 3. He says, It, this great salvation, it was first spoken by the Lord, by Jesus. And it was confirmed to us by those who heard him, his, his apostles. 
At the same time, God, God the Father himself, testified. How? By signs and wonders. By miracles, distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit, according to his will. See, Jesus spoke of this great salvation, and then the apostles confirmed that he had said it, the salvation he spoke about, and then God the Father confirmed it all by granting miracles to prove this is my word, this is legit. In other words, our great salvation is the forgiveness and grace of the gospel. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, through his death and resurrection. It's the gospel. That's what Jesus proclaimed. That's what the apostles taught. That's what God validified with miracles. And that's what we have in our New Testament. So can you see how he's trying to now draw all the argument together? He's a bit wordy, yes, let's admit that. But what's he saying? He's saying, long ago, God spoke his Old Testament message, his law, through angels. But now he has spoken of salvation through his Son in the New Testament. The Son is greater than the angels, and so the New Testament message is greater than the message of the law. And this is, this is his landing point. If you were punished for disobeying, for ignoring God's message through angels, then how much more will you be punished if you ignore God's message through his Son? The greater one. How much more will it be worse for you if you ignore God's greater salvation? At the beginning, I got you to think about Mother's Day and giving two gifts to your mom. It's a bit of a silly example, but, but what you feel when you give a present to your mom and she doesn't care about that, that greater gift you gave her, the better one, the more precious one, the one you spent more time on, the more money on. What you feel, isn't that something of what God feels? When his greater message, his greater revelation, his word to us through his son is ignored, rejected. If ignoring God's angel-given Old Testament message is bad, is serious, how will we escape if we ignore his New Testament message, the greater message, God's salvation through his son? The answer is, we won't. The answer is, it is worse to ignore Jesus than it is to ignore Moses. It's worse to ignore the great salvation of the New Testament than it is to ignore God's law in the Old. As good as it is. So that's why it matters that Jesus is greater than angels. And that's why he says, look at it again in verse 1. This is that key verse. This is why we we must, therefore, pay even more attention to what we have heard. The message of the gospel. So that we will not drift away. Don't drift away is his point. Don't neglect God's great salvation. Make sure that you don't drift away from faith in Jesus and neglect the salvation that he gives you, that he died and rose for. Don't be distracted by the things of this world and, and the idols that you want to chase. Don't be snuffed out by the pressures of life or or those around you. Don't be led astray by the voices of the world who tell you, just give up on Jesus. Or, Or why do you believe what the Bible says about that? Because if you do, if you do, if you are snuffed out or distracted or led astray, you won't escape God's righteous judgment. Don't neglect God's great salvation. 
Don't close your ears to the message he has spoken through his son. How? How do we keep ourselves from drifting away? He tells us. You see, he uses both the carrot and the stick. It's an example Phil used last week as well. The stick is, remember God's judgment, fear him. But then there's the carrot. Pay attention to what you have heard. To to the wonder of the gospel. To the glory of Jesus. To the immense love of God. To his unbridled kindness, generosity, love. In sending his son to die for us. in, In raising us to new life because he rose again. Pay attention to what the Lord Jesus himself said, what what the apostles confirmed, what God the Father testified to, to what we now hold in our hands and should hold in our hearts and minds, the message of salvation by God's grace to those who repent and believe. Pay attention to it to keep you from, from drifting away from faith and from God's grace. Invest in it daily as you read it. Weekly, as we gather together and and think hard about it. And always, as as we meditate on it day and night. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus and what he has done for you. And that will keep you, it will guard you from drifting away from his great salvation. And as we keep going through Hebrews, well, God will keep showing us more of this. And help us to do this more and more. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, thank you again for your word spoken through your Son. We praise you for the gospel of grace that he has brought about through his life and death and resurrection. We thank you that we have that word distilled for us in the New Testament, that, they, that we might read it, see Jesus clearly, repent and believe, and be saved. Please keep us fixed on Jesus, remembering that great salvation. And keep us from drifting away. In Jesus' name, amen.